like to talk today about how we can handle the, the pressures and the stresses that come to us in life. And I can't think of a better example than to look at Jesus and to see how he handled these particular things. And so we're going to read a passage from the Gospel of Mark. Please pay very close attention because there will be a, a pop quiz after this, okay? And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay sick with a fever, and immediately they told him of her. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she served them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. The whole city was gathered together about the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And in the morning, a great while before day, he arose and went out to a lonely place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him pursued him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is searching for you. And he said to them, Let us go to the next towns, that I might preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Then from chapter 6. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a lonely place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a lonely place by themselves. May the Lord bless to our hearts and our minds this reading of his word. So, uh, in the text there, the question is, how many people were uh, brought to Jesus? How many sick people did they bring to Jesus? It's right there in the second paragraph. All. Question number two, how many sick people got cured? Many, many. So they brought all and many were cured. So that means that some people didn't get healed. I, I would love to imagine this scene. I'm trying to imagine who was the guy next in line when Jesus stopped? What crippled kid or demon-possessed man or woman, what sick person was standing there when Jesus said, that's it? Like at the post office, you know, when you're in line, and then all of a sudden they go, they close the door like that. We're closed, 5 o'clock. Sorry, come back tomorrow. What's the moral of this story? There's always more to do. Even Jesus couldn't get everything done. He still had some folks on the to-do list for healing. Back in the day before modern highway equipment, a contractor was hired to build a road for the government. He did it, and he hired a man to paint the center stripe when it was done. And the first day, the painter was able to get five miles of stripe painted. 
The second day, he got two miles of stripe painted. The third day, he got 400 yards painted. And the fourth day, he got 27 feet. The contractor called him in and said, well, I was amazed the first day that you got that five miles. I didn't expect that much, but what's the deal with the 27 feet? And the painter said, well, I just kept getting further and further away from the paint bucket. <laughs> it's bad, I know. Um, <laughs> we get overwhelmed by the pressures of life, and we find ourselves further and further from the bucket. The bucket that replenishes us and refreshes us and brings us back to new. We can get further and further away, find ourselves being more stressed and less productive. Try an experiment this week when you meet somebody and you say, hey, how you doing? Watch what their response is. About 90% of the time, the response to how you doing, what's going on, is some variation of the word busy. Some variation of that theme about how busy we are, what, so much going on, don't know if I'm coming or going, whatever. There's, there's something about that. I have hardly ever in my life ha asked the question of a person, hey, how you doing? And have them say, Bill, I'm calm, peaceful, and balanced. <laughs> Nobody ever says that. It's always the other version of it. There's little doubt that we live in a frenzied, fast-paced world, tyrannized by an overabundance of tasks and a scarcity of time. Most of us experience life as a complex web of schedules, obligations, and deadlines. And assuming that a happy life is a busy life, we consume experiences just as we consume material goods. We're doing stuff all the time, constantly, and it's like we've gotten on a treadmill and somebody keeps cranking up the speed faster and faster. The more we do, the more important that we feel. But of course, we have learned that there's a cost to all of this stuff. We know all about the ill effects of the accelerated pace of modern life, the growing number of physical ailments related to stress, the psychological instability and distress, the decline in quality time and social interaction with friends and family, the erosion of creativity, and the subversion of spiritual growth and development, all impacted by stress in our life. Much physical and psychological suffering today comes from our attempts to do all that we can do and be all things to all people. Attempting to follow the old army motto, be all you can be, has resulted in our being less and less. Our self-identity is determined by our performance, and yet underneath it there is this gnawing sense of discontent and dissatisfaction. This is not a new phenomenon. We can see in the scripture that we just read that people back in Jesus' day experienced stress and pressure too. In Mark chapter 6, you know, Jesus sends out the, the apostles to heal people and to teach, and it's hard demanding work. And so in chapter 6, Mark says, The apostles returned and met with Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. There were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his disciples didn't even have time to eat. So he said to them, Let us go off by ourselves to some place where we will be alone 
and you can rest a while. So they got into a boat and they took off to a deserted place. And you know what the rest of the story is? When they got to the other side of the lake, there were the people. They had walked around. When you try to get away, people will hunt you down. They will hunt you down. And, and so there Jesus lands in what was supposed to be the lonely place. And there's all the sick people, the demon-possessed people, all the people needing help. And they're waiting for him. And they swamp him again. That was life. But he realized Jesus took the time to meditate, to pray, to relax. He took the time to be alone. And he, he calls us to take up our cross and to follow him. But he also calls us to look at our life and to put in some balance there as well. We don't need to prove ourselves constantly through work and activity. He says it's important to have rest and relaxation as well. He knew how important it was to balance activity with leisure and relaxation, to be able to do that. Because without proper rest and relaxation, he knows the effectiveness of our work for the kingdom and the intensity of our relationships will suffer. Whenever we feel all this pressure and stress, we start to feel like a victim. And yet he wants us to feel like victors, not victims, so that we're not just constantly feeling like we're at the, the beck and call of other pressures in our own life. The word leisure comes from the Latin word lisere. It literally means to be free. To have leisure is to be free to choose what you do. So your leisure time is the time when you get to choose your activities. You know, we have, the, the understanding of the Sabbath has changed quite a bit throughout Christianity. It used to be that the concept, that the people were very strict. You couldn't do anything on the Sabbath. You, you literally could, could do nothing. You, you, you couldn't work, but you also couldn't play either. You had to kind of just sit around. And then it changed where the Sabbath now, the understanding that most people have, is that your Sabbath, and you're supposed to have one-seventh of your time, is supposed to be your Sabbath. One-seventh. And in that time, you're supposed to be able to choose activities which refresh and replenish you. And because human beings are so different, it's amazing to see the different activities that people choose to do on their Sabbath. For example, when, when I moved here, um, I decided that it was going to be important for me to teach my daughters how to ski and myself how to ski. Because growing up in Phoenix, skiing was not big. Um, and so we went up to Tahoe the first winter we were here and tried to learn how to ski. After one day, I realized this is the craziest thing in the world. People pay money to come up here to freeze, strap boards on their feet, try to miss trees going downhill. This is, this is leisure activity? It made no sense to me. Or people that, that choose in their leisure to do gardening. Gardening is just like farming on a small scale. It's hard work. It's a lot of backbreaking work. Why would anybody choose that as their leisure activity? But people look at the kind of books that I take on vacation with me, theology, philosophy, stuff like that, and they go, why would anyone on vacation want to read that stuff? Everyone has their own 
peculiarities when it comes to this. But the great thing about it is that we get to choose the things which fill us up again. And we're supposed to spend one-seventh of our time doing that, filling up our own life, our souls, doing all those kind of things. So in the scripture, we have these two contrasting scenes, the super busy, demanding life that Jesus lived, people coming to him, asking to be healed, wanting to be taught, and then the time where he goes away. At the same time, he gets up, leaves everything, goes off to himself for a change of, of, of whole tempo in his life. He had the capacity to act decisively, but he also knew that times of quiet and rest were necessary to his ministry, as necessary as the times of activity. His words speak to our need and condition, living as we do in a very frantic and busy world. We are called to go away to a lonely place, to go away to some place, to find that sort of renewal and refreshment in our life. Yes, we're called to be a part of the kingdom of God. We're called to work for God's kingdom. We are responsible, but we're not totally responsible. My friend Terry Hershey, who many of you have heard speak here in this church, has a little note that is taped to his bathroom mirror. It says, Dear Terry, I know being in control makes you feel better, but I can handle it. Thanks anyway. Love God. <laughs> or the, as the coffee mug says, who nominated you, Messiah, today? We need to understand that we can take a step back. Years ago, there was a cardiologist in San Francisco by the name of Meyer Friedman. And he noticed that the people who came to him who had heart disease, that there was a certain sort of a similarity to a lot of these people. They had similar personalities. And he, he began noticing it, talking about it, researching it, and he wrote a book called The Type A Personality. So if you've ever heard of that term, type A, he's a real type A, or she's a type A personality, type B. Type A's were the people who had heart problems because of their particular personality characteristics. Some of those were, first of all, competitiveness. Type A individuals tend to be very competitive and self-critical. They strive toward goals without feeling a sense of joy in their efforts or accomplishment. They are characterized by a high work involvement, easily wound up and tend to overreact. Secondly, time urgency. Type A personality experience a constant sense of urgency. They pe the people seem to be in a constant struggle against the clock. Hostility, type A individuals tend to be easily aroused to anger or hostility. They may or not express it overtly. So all these different characteristics he noticed, and the, and the type A people were the ones that were having the problems with their hearts. And so he had some advice for them. He put in his book some advice as to how to, how to change some of that stuff. For example, he suggested, stop doing more than one thing at a time. Stop thinking about several things at, at one time. Just try doing one thing at a time. The whole multitasking thing, he said, is not good for you. Secondly, he said, try listening without interrupting. Try to just listen without constantly interrupting. He tells of one of his patients who said, Dr. Friedman, I followed your advice about listening without interrupting. 
My wife can go on and on, and last Saturday she did. We went on a three-hour drive, and she talked nonstop, and I really tried to listen. I didn't say a word, and boy, was it tough. But finally, when we got home, my wife said, Honey, that's the best conversation we've ever had. <laughs> listening is not easy, but it's important, he said. He said, try reading books that demand concentration. Not just a page turner, but something that really engages your mind. To read something which demands your attention and your conversation. He said, try to avoid irritating people. Wouldn't we all like to do that? But you know what? In the Bible, the Pharisees and the scribes are the people that are constantly irritating Jesus, right? But did you notice that in all those stories of their interactions, Jesus never approaches the Pharisees and scribes? It's always the Pharisees and scribes that approach Jesus. He probably tried to stay as far away from them as he could because they were irritating people. And then finally, Friedman advertised, uh, he advises their people, he says, plan for some personal quiet time each day, even if it means getting up earlier or staying up later. Make sure you have some quiet time, personal quiet time for meditation and prayer in your day. If you do those kind of things, you can lessen the stress in your life. His suggestions are based on two underlying principles. First of all, things worth being are better than things worth having. And secondly, live by the calendar rather than the clock. When you're making a decision, ask yourself, five years from now, how much will this matter? The calendar, not the clock. Look, think of the long-term effect. It takes away a lot of the pressure of the small little daily things in our life. So often in our religious life, we get conflicting messages. Most of the sermons that you ever hear from this pulpit are to encourage you to get up and do something. So enjoy this one, where, where I'm saying, do, do less, do less. Make sure there's some space in your life. The space between the notes is just import, as important to the music as the notes themselves. Slow down in a hurry world is not easy. But Jesus showed us how to do it, and the Jesus who only had three years for his ministry, three years here to do all the kind of things that he needed to do. If he was able and willing to take some space and some time to go to a lonely place and to be by himself, then we need to follow his example too. Amen.